0: I know there would be a few of you in this place who are not yet familiar with Christine Kane. So let me just fill you in a little bit about their ministry because their ministry is is, uh, far-reaching and very multifaceted. They have founded Equip and Empower Ministries, Propel Women Ministries, which really help mobilize and position people to fulfill their God-given purpose and walk in that. They've planted three Zoe churches throughout Europe. They have founded the A21 campaign, the amazing global anti-human trafficking organization. She's written many bestsellers. She's one of America's, or Globally, not just America's most sought-after speakers. And we're really honored to have her. But I want to tell you that personally, I've had the privilege of knowing Christine for about 25 years. And what I so admire about her is that no matter what's going on around her, she stays true to Jesus. She values the power of the Holy Spirit working in her life, and she is passionate about people. You guys, we are in for a treat today. Can we stand to our feet and give a Bridge Church welcome to Christine K.
1: Good morning, church. How y'all doing? I am so honored to be here. You can be seated. I have fallen in love with Temecula, who knew? Y'all, I've been living up there in Newport Beach for 13 years, not even knowing this part of the world existed, but um, y'all got wine down here. (laughs) And I love the church, because any church that has a drummer chick, are you for real right now? Are you for real? This is like, I don't know about y'all. But um, this is not your grandmother's church. That's all I'm saying. It's like, it was, what a, we ought to thank God for such an awesome worship team that took us into the presence of God today, hey? Nick and I so love your pastors. Um, You know, I have known Pastor Ann for 25 years since we were like one year old. So we've been friends just for that first quarter of a century. And Pastor Gary, they're just like stellar, a stellar, stellar couple. And let me just say, I travel so much around the world. You ought to thank God that you are planted in such a great church under such great leaders, because it doesn't happen everywhere. That's all I want you to know. And right down here in Temecula, I'm going to bring my kids down here. I'm going to tell everyone about it because I'm like, do you want visitors in Temecula? Or I don't know. But I'm like, this is like America's secret. You've got Western town, like if you're into beer, just go to Old Town. If you're into bougie wines, go into Wine Town. But if you're like Christians, like this church, <laughs> there's lots of sparkling water. You know, it's I'm not going to talk about Jesus's first miracle, but that's okay. So, I am so honored to be here. It was so good to have the women in the house uh, yesterday. There was a lot of my husband. You know, he's been to more women's conferences than any man needs to be. Sort of walked in and went, "There's a lot of oestrogen in this place, Christine." And so, this morning, it's nice to have some testosterone in the room. So, uh, it, it is it is great to do that. I love the House of God. I 'm a local church girl to the bone, and um, I am just so grateful, and especially after the last few years i 've always been grateful for church, but never more grateful than now, even those of you that are watching me online you 're awesome. I hope the cheerios don 't get into your bed sheets um, <laughs> but you do you so we 're at we 're going to turn the scripture this morning um, to the book of Hebrews, possibly the last few years, the book that i 've been in more than any other book in the scripture. Is the book of Hebrews. It was written to Jewish Christians who had converted from Judaism and they became Jesus followers. And, you know, the reward for becoming a Jesus follower at that time was extreme persecution. Many of them were, they'd lost family, they lost friends, they lost any credibility they had, they lost their homes, they lost their assets, and some, you know, many had to flee to the catacombs. Many truly lost their lives. I mean, there was like real, real persecution. And it was so hard to be a Jesus follower during that time that many of them were thinking, you know what, it would just be a whole lot better if we went back to where we came from. If we went back to Judaism, if we went back to where it would be acceptable, where it would be comfortable, where society would endorse us, where doors of opportunity would open for us economically and politically and socially. It would just be better if we went back. The writer to the Hebrews begins to write to them in Hebrews chapter one. I mean, you've got to read the whole book, but he starts talking about the fact, really, he says, well, what are you going to go back to? Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the Lord. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than any, Anything you came from Jesus is supreme, Jesus is sufficient, Jesus is wonderful. He's telling them about the greatness of God, the supremacy of Jesus, the fact that He's far superior than anything that they left. And He begins to write to them through this book and saying, Don't go back, because what are you going to go back to? As if that's anything better than who you have come to. And He's encouraging them to not give up, to not drift away, to not quit. So, the whole of chapter one, He's talking about how. wonderful Jesus is. He's reminding them of why they became Jesus followers in the beginning. And then we pick up our text for this morning in Hebrews chapter two, verse one, it says, for this reason, everyone say "for for this reason, because Jesus is supreme, because Jesus is sufficient, because Jesus is superior to anything else for this reason. For this reason, we must pay attention all the more. I want you to not forget that all the more to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders of various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. We'll go on, but let me just pause there for a moment. For this reason, the writer to the Hebrews is saying, because Jesus is supreme, because Jesus is superior, because he alone is sufficient, we have to pay all the more attention. Not just pay attention in the Greek, that's perisoteros And You think, how do I know that? Because I know a little Greek. I'm little and I'm Greek. And so it's like perisoteros prosokhin. My mother used to say that to us. I grew up in a a Greek home. I didn't speak English until I was five. And if we were coming into a very dangerous situation, my mother would yell out loud, Christina, perisoteros prosokin. And I would know from her tone of voice, from the sequence of words that she would use, that she wasn't saying, hey, Chris, be careful. She was saying, be extra careful. And you knew that it was dangerous and it was time to be extra careful. And I would say the Holy Spirit in 2023 is saying to all of us, church, this is not a time just to be careful, but be extra careful. Lest we also drift from so great a salvation. You know, it is so easy to drift in, in life. When we were, I grew up in Sydney, Australia, and my parents would take us up to this beach called Eumina Beach, which is on the north coast of New South Wales, where I grew up. And um, you know, this beach was notorious for the undertow that it had, for the riptide that it had. You know, I, I don't know what message my parents were trying to give us by taking us up to this beach frequently, but anyway, we would go up there. And I mean, people literally died in Australia because of the riptide. It was such a strong rip in that part of the country. And so we would go up. And my dad would always put like this huge beach umbrella on one side of the sand. And then he would put beach towels on the other side of the sand. And dad would always say to us, kids, when you're out there swimming, you're going to be having so much fun. You are going to be enjoying yourselves and you're just not going to be paying attention. I need you to look up regularly and check that you are swimming between the beach umbrella and the beach towel. I need you to be checking your markers regularly. Because if you don't check your markers Whether you realize it or not, you are going to be caught in the rip and you're going to be taken out to sea. And then my dad would always say, kids, I need you to remember, all you have to do to drift is nothing. You you don't have to do anything bad to drift. And that would pertain to every aspect of life. All you have to do for your marriage to drift, you don't have to have an affair, just do nothing. If you want your kids to drift away from you, You don't have to do anything bad to them. Just do nothing. If you want your weight to drift, just don't exercise. (laughs) Girls, if you want your eyebrows to drift, just do nothing. Like, I mean, like, you know, just do nothing. In any area of life, all you have to do to drift is neglect doing the basics, neglect checking your markers, and you will drift. Not you might, you don't have to do anything bad, you will if you do nothing. And the writer to the Hebrews says, hey, be careful, check your markers, pay extra attention lest you also drift and neglect. Neglect leads to more drifting than willful disobedience. Neglecting the things that we should be doing is what leads us to drift more than anything else, and so I wonder this morning whether you 've been paying much closer attention, not just paying attention but much closer attention. All you have to do to drift in life is nothing now, Nick loves to boat, and i I love to go out boating as well, but I think the purpose of boating is like. Sun and so I remember, you know, we were out in, in Newport and there was the anchorage there and we're out. And Nick's like, Chris, can you throw the anchor out? And that was like so, um, it just, you know, was distracting to me because I was right in the right tone of turning to get the right suntan. And um, I was like so ticked off that he was going to disrupt my sunbaking. So I kind of grabbed the anchor and I just threw it out. And and then about, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, 20 minutes later, we we like hit another boat, and Nick was not happy. He looks like a Christian there on the front row, but, (laughs) and as we nudge that other boat, Nick's like, Chris, I told you to throw the anchor out. I go, I did. He said, just, did you check that the anchor connected with the seabed? Did you actually check that we were anchored? I went, like, minor detail. You didn't tell me that. You just said throw it out. (laughs) There's no point being connected to an anchor if you are not going to be anchored. Scripture tells us that Jesus is this hope we have, what? As an anchor for our soul, both firm and secure. And the fact of the matter is, during the shifts and the changes I don't know if you've noticed, perhaps Temecula has been exempt, but the rest of the planet has gone cray cray over the last few years. There have been shifts at an unprecedented rate economically, politically, socially morally, environmentally everything, the world as we knew it has shifted. The currents of society have not only changed, they're changing at such a rapid rate, most of us have got whiplash because we can't even keep up with it. Everything has shifted and those currents are changing and those currents are shifting, and so many people have been taken to and fro and have drifted right out because they were not anchored during the currents shifting. And if you and I are going to fulfill the will and the purpose and the promise of God for our lives, then it's not enough to just be a nice Christian in thought, We better be connected to our anchor, Jesus, and we better be rooted and anchored in the word of God, in the house of God, in the promise of God, and in the purpose of God, if we are not gonna drift in the world in which we live. The writer to the Hebrews says, pay much closer attention, lest we also drift. And we can complain about the current shifting all we want, but this is the world that God has chosen us to be, In the book of Acts says that God chooses the times and the seasons and the places that he puts us, you and I are not a product of time, we're a product of eternity. God has plucked us out of eternity, he has positioned us in time, and he's given us gifts and talents for the purpose of serving our generation. This is the world to which we were sent. God is not in heaven falling off his throne, going, I had no idea what America would be like in 2023. He's not freaking out. He knows exactly what's happened, and you are his plan A for Temecula. He plucked you out of eternity, and he positioned you in time, and he filled you with gifts and talents for this moment on the planet, but we better pay much closer attention or we too will drift. So how do you know if you're drifting? You know, Nick and I, um, before we go out on the boat, Nick always checks there's a chain that connects the anchor to the boat. And so what has happened over these last few years with all of the currents shifting, some of us forgot to check the links in our chains. Some of us found that the links got rusty and disconnected when the ribs got extra strong, it disconnected from the anchor and found ourselves, here I am out to sea. I'm not quite sure how I got here. Some of us through neglect are not even realizing that we are drifting because if you're not anchored, you are drifting. You don't have to be doing anything willfully wrong. Just neglect the things that you should be doing. And you will drift, just like my dad said. Kids, you're going to be out there. You're going to be having fun. You're not even going to realize that you're drifting. The undertow is so subtle but so strong. It's going to take you out. Our world, everything in our world, the moral markers, the political, the economic, the social, the environment, every marker has shifted. So we better check the right markers. If you and I are going to stay rooted and grounded in this time, and we can, not only stay rooted and grounded, Flourish and fulfill the purpose of God and fulfill the promise of God, but we've got to be connected to the hope of God, Jesus, lest we also drift. So, what might be some signs in 2023 as we kick off last Sunday in January? What what might be some signs that, that we're drifting? Most of them are internal heart things. So, maybe one sign of drifting, maybe you might know you're drifting if for you in your life. If a blue check mark matters more to you than God's Holy Spirit heart checkup, we live in a world that is so obsessed with our public profiles. Most of you have grown up in, in a world that you've not known anything otherwise. It could become very deceptive, very seductive, when you spend your life curating a public profile but paying no attention to your personal intimacy with Jesus. And a generation is rising up that thinks if it's just filtered right and edited right, and the whole world thinks something's right, there can be something entirely different going on in our heart, and then we wonder why our lives collapse. And it's so interesting to me, this generation is just so upset with their most authentic, spontaneous, real self, just my most natural, spontaneous self. So Let me just make sure, hashtag selfie, that I get the right lighting and the right angle so that I could post my most spontaneous, authentic, true self, just keep it real. And then I'm gonna put the right filter on it and then I'm going to like upload it, hashtag my most spontaneous, natural, authentic self, hashtag blessed, you know, like it's awesome. And I'm unravelling on the inside and my anxiety levels are up here and my depression levels are up here, my stress levels are up here, and my world is unravelling but hashtag blessed. And someone better like it in the right amount of time and I better get the right amount of likes in the right amount of time and if I don't, I better take it down and take another pose from a different angle for a different spontaneous authentic self. Hashtag blessed. And a blue checkup, man... If Elon would just verify me with that blue check mark, well, you can pay eight bucks now and get it, but you know, man, if I could just get it, if I could just get verified, if everyone could just see I've got that blue check mark, and it matters not to you that God actually validated you 2,000 years ago at Calvary. That's how you were validated, that he gave his only begotten son. Oh, no, if I could be verified by man, that becomes more important than being validated by God you know you've drifted. You know you've drifted. When you care more about how many likes you get on a post than how much like Jesus you're becoming, you've drifted. When you're prepared to post things that are entirely unlike what Scripture tells you to do, you've drifted. Because you would prefer to be a man pleaser than a God pleaser. You've drifted. It's very quiet in this Presbyterian church. I'm going over to this side. You're the heathens are over there. I'm coming to the Christians. You know, you've drifted. When you care more about how many are following you than how many are not following Jesus, you've drifted. When we no longer allow the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and say, search me, try me. Lord, I want to look at this word and Man, it's a mirror. Show me who I really am. No, no, no. You've drifted when you're getting your identity and your value and your significance and your security and your self esteem by what others say about you or to you rather than what God has said about you. You've drifted. You've drifted. I'm trying. Maybe another sign, you're very quiet over here, let's move on. That's just for all the people online that are not here. So maybe (laughs) another sign that you've drifted is when your will is more important than God's will. It's so interesting to me how everything in our generation is all about self-actualization, self-realization, self-fulfillment. How's that working as we're all looking for ourselves? I don't know that we've seen more neurosis on the planet than we are right now, but you go. And so it's like all self, self. Like I am the center of everything. I'm the center source of knowledge. You know what they're gonna do? Honestly, in about like a hundred years, they're gonna dig up a um a time capsule and they're gonna say, What well, what was the most you know popular phrase of twenty the twenty-first century? And they're not even gonna understand it. It's gonna be like you do you boo. And everyone's gonna be like, <laughs> they're gonna get like, what does that even mean? You do you boo? <laughs> We've told the whole generation, you do you. Let me give you some theology for that. In the book of Judges, they said everyone did what was right in their own eyes. How did that go with that generation? Exactly how it's going with ours. Exactly how it's going with ours. In this whole era of self-fulfillment, self-actualization, self-realization, the good news is Jesus came to save us from ourselves and given us new life in Him and new hope in Him and new purpose in Him. Thank God. But when it becomes my will, and we treat God like a sugar daddy, if you give me what I want, I'll follow you. And then the minute something in the word isn't in alignment with my will, we think surely God does not want to impinge on my will. God himself, God incarnate, Jesus Christ himself, the night before he died, was in Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, saying, Father, if there is any other way to fulfill the plan and purpose, he was never not going to fulfill it, but if there is any other way, if there's a plan B, would you take this cup from me? And then he said the most missing words in 21st century Christianity. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Church, when was the last time you ever, to the point of distress, were kneeling on your bedroom floor saying, Everything in me wants to jump into bed with that person that's not my spouse, but nevertheless, not my will. I'm not dismissing or diminishing the reality of your emotions or your feelings. But I am saying, when was the nevertheless? Everything in me wants to post and get vengeance and react in a certain way, but nevertheless. Everything in me wants to click on that website, and. but nevertheless. And yet we're telling a generation, just because you feel it, do it. Just because you think it do it. Where is the place for nevertheless not my will when God himself, in Jesus, said nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He goes on and says, maybe, maybe you've drifted when you care more about everybody else's business than you do about God's business. You know, it's so interesting to me in the world in which we live because we have our phones in our pockets 24-7. We have access to news about everything and stuff that we know nothing about, but we've got an opinion about it no matter what. And it doesn't matter what the scripture says about meddling in anyone else's, um, you know, business or, or about not getting caught up in idle gossip or slander or not getting caught up. No, 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 it doesn't really matter because I've got an opinion and the world needs to know. Somehow the earth is not going to continue to orbit around the sun if I don't express my opinion. And we have just gone crazy over the last few years with all of that. As if somehow God does not read our social media feeds. Unlike like, Yo, when it says that we're going to give an account for every idle word and idle tweet and idle post. That's what it means in the Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, just in case you're wondering. That we shove up there. You know, and because of the distraction of caring about everybody else's business, man, what are they doing? What are they saying? What's going on? We have forgotten about the Father's business. And so, do you remember Jesus? Do you remember um, in the Gospel of Luke where Mary lost God for three days? Do you remember that? Like he was 12? (laughs) And, um, there's a story of like how Mary and Joseph, they lost Jesus for three days, uh, you know, coming home from the festival. And I, I love the fact that, that the story is in the Bible because that lets every mother on earth off the hook. That any, any mother that has ever forgotten their kid at school or, you know, just shopping, like just forgot, you know. And so I, I just think that's awesome because like Mary lost God for three days. I'm like, like truly, that's Okay. But when she went and found Jesus and he's in the temple, he's 12, 12. In the next service, we're going to be full of young people. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus was 12. And, you know, the only time, I tell my daughters, I want you to follow the example of Jesus, um, except for this one time. <laughs> the way Jesus spoke to his mother in this moment, anyway, because when she turns up at the temple and she's like having a, a mother fit, um, Jesus just turns around, he goes, Woman! I said to my daughters, don't you ever, don't you ever think about doing this. He's like, woman, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I must be about my father's business? He knew that he was here on purpose for a purpose. He was 12 years old. And the church has been so distracted by everybody else's business, we've forgotten the father's business. So maybe you've drifted if you're prioritizing everybody else's business over the Father's business. Maybe you've drifted when you're being more conformed to this world than transformed by the Word of God. It is so interesting to me watching this. I've been in this deal for over three decades, nearly four, of just somehow there the spirit of the world the current of the world which implies that you can't change, which implies that transformation's not possible, which implies with you just have to be a product of your past and you just have to stay there. Listen, I thank God that I was saved in an era where people still believe that Jesus changes lives, that people can be transformed, that your history does not need to define your destiny, that you can be can- conformed to the image of God. And in fact, in Romans 12 too, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? Not by the removal of your mind, because to believe half the stuff out there, you've got to remove your mind right now. (laughs) But by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I want you to know that Jesus is in the transformation business. I'm the kid that was born and left in a hospital, unnamed and unwanted. My birth certificate does not even have a name on it. It says, child's name, unnamed, number 2508 of 1966. I was sexually abused by four men for for 12 years of my life. I was so broken. I was so full of shame and guilt. I had so much trauma in my life. Most people with that kind of background don't normally end up doing what I'm doing but I encountered a resurrected living God who not only gave me forgiveness for my past, but a brand new life here on earth and a hope for the future. Jesus still redeems today. Jesus still transforms today. Jesus still renews today. I am living proof that you can start bad and finish good and it would be just like God. To take an unnamed, unwanted, immigrant, marginalized, every trauma that exists kind of child and say, you know what, I'm not only going to rescue you, but now I'm going to use you to open up those prison doors for those that are still bound and for those that are still locked up. Jesus can redeem your past. Jesus can heal your past. Jesus can give you a future behind your past. Don't buy into the narrative of this age that says God cannot change you because he does. Can I just tell you, every time we put a trafficker in jail at 821, every time we rescue a woman or a child, I think, devil, you could stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Yeah. I bet you wish you left me alone when I was a kid. I feel like Joseph in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, that looked at his brothers and said, You meant this for evil against me, but God meant it for this very purpose <laughs> to save many people alive. On the other side of your healing, there are people. There are people waiting on the other side of your healing. Jesus restores. Jesus heals. And your history and your past can be used to give someone else a future. It doesn't have to define your destiny. But so many of us, if we neglect the work of the word in our life, if we neglect the renewal of our mind, I, I, I can't tell you, 35 years ago, when I understood the power of the word it was first introduced to me I would write down things on sticky notes I still do it to this day at 56 years old because I am only ever one thought away from going back to thinking how I used to think one thought and so I'm saying what did God say about me I'm going to stop believing what the abuser said I'm going to replace those thoughts with what God said I'm going to replace the facts of my past with the truth of the word of God do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You'll drift otherwise. You will drift otherwise. So perhaps you're also drifting. You know what? When you talk about, you talk about it to others more than you pray about it to God you know, in our very therapeutic age in which we live in, and I'm all about therapy. With my background, let me just tell you, I'm all about it. But a therapist isn't Jesus. And I do want to remind you that we do have a wonderful capital C counselor. And that would be God. And in this age, let's just be careful we don't replace one idol with another idol. And so the fact of the matter is so many of us in this kind of put it all out there culture, we're just putting everything out there and expecting some stranger from the back of Alaska that we don't even know to speak into our lives and bring wisdom when we've got the word of God, we've got the spirit of God, we've got the people of God in the house of God to give us help in our lives. But we don't wanna pray. We don't wanna go in, shut the door, and do business with God, because we feel more validated when people come in and tell us what we wanna think, or tell us you know, how to think, or how to feel. And then we wonder why our lives are unraveling. I am all about, I don't want you to mishear me, I am all about getting the right counsel. I am all about, I run a global anti-trafficking organization. We employ the best in the world, counselors, therapists. I thank God for each and every one. But don't let that replace actually talking to God. I think in our generation, so many people are drifting because we're going to people before we go to God. Or we're going to people instead of God. And so what we need to do is to pray. Whatever happened to, the, to understanding the power of prayer? Prayer changes things. Uh, uh, you know, everything that Nick and I do, like, like, it, it, is, it is firstly rooted and grounded in prayer. And many of us, we just have become so distant and so removed from God, we kind of think like he's an imaginary friend there that's not real. And prayer is like sort of some fire insurance if like I'm about to die. Oh God, if you're there. I remember once Nick and I were on an aeroplane and, you know, we had taken off from um, Chicago. We are going to Raleigh, North Carolina. <laughs> and um, about five minutes into the flight, you know, we got up there, maybe 10 minutes, the captain comes over the loudspeaker and he says, Ladies and gentlemen, there is no need to panic. And, right, you know, up until... I wasn't panicking up until that moment. I thought, oh, yeah, why did you need to tell me that? I wasn't panicking. Ignorance is bliss. If we're going to go down, I don't need to know about it. And so... And he goes, we're having some problem with the landing gear. We can't get it up. Imagine this phrase. You're like 35,000 feet up there. We can't get it up. We don't know what's still attached. And we're going to turn around and try to land in Chicago. Now, there are certain words you don't want to hear when you're at 35,000 feet in the air. Try to land is one of those sequence of words. You don't want to hear that. And anyway, I say all that to go, it was so amazing. I I did start, I got like, I don't know if it was the nervous giggles, but I started to laugh because at that moment, up there in the air, the spirit of atheism left that airplane. I'm telling you, from the front to the back, every, I mean, people were crying out to everything. Allah, Muhammad, Buddha, Jesus, Mary, the donkey. I mean, it was like all of it, all of it. And I I started laughing and I said to Nick, well, everyone's hoping there's a God right now. (laughs) That's how most of us treat our prayer life with God. We think when we're about to go down, I hope you're there. And I'm just saying, probably of all of the gifts that God has given us apart from salvation... The most important gift is that the creator of the universe has afforded to us the privilege of entering into his throne room and having access to God himself. Oh, if you would just value that, it would change so much. The God of the universe loves you so much, he invites you in. And in our world, where everything has to be seen and everything has to be known, And everyone has to see what protein we're having with our kale salad on our Instagram account. God's like, would you come into the throne room, shut the door, and spend time with me? I'm not saying it's going to make everything better, but I'm telling you it's going to make a whole lot of things better. It really is. You know, maybe you know you've drifted when you're comparing and competing with brothers and sisters rather than celebrating. You know, the scripture says in Corinthians, Paul writes, you know, don't comp- the, the people that compare themselves amongst themselves are not wise. And we have a whole era, a whole generation, where we are so into comparing and competing. I mean, we might not say it because we're Christians. So we don't say the sins that we do generally. We just do them and then lie about them. And so what we do is spend our life and we just scroll through everybody else's life instead of living our own life. So instead of living the life that God's called us to live, man, we're just scrolling, and then we're comparing, and we're competing, and then we're not even looking to Jesus to say, what is the race that you would have me run? What is my purpose on this earth? What is it that you want me to do? And then we just spend all our time lamenting that we don't have that person's race or we don't have that person's gift or we don't have that person's talent. And God says, listen, you are one body, many parts. I've put you all in place. And if you abdicate your place, it actually impacts me. I remember I was uh, skiing a few years ago and um, we were with five other American families. It was during the Winter Olympics. And so I would be watching the um, you know Winter Olympics and I didn't know how to ski and so uh, that was a minor detail but I thought if I watch the Winter Olympics I'm going to get up the next day and represent Australia. This is it. I'm doing this. And so you know, but I, I had no capacity so I'm like on the flat green slopes with the two year olds, you know, that are just learning to ski. And all the guys this one day, they were going to go do this double black diamond suicide run thing, you know. And I made Nick come with me. And I'm um, And, you know, we're on the little green slopes with the two year olds and all his mates are up there in the black double diamond things. And I said to Nick, honey, if you were with the guys today, you wouldn't be having any more fun, would you? And any man that's been married for four seconds knows that if your wife ever asks you a loaded question like that and you wanted any action that night, the correct answer, (laughs) the correct answer always is, honey, there is nowhere I would rather be than on this flat green slope with you and the two-year-olds. But my husband, being a man of integrity, says to me, Now he doesn't just say more. He goes, Chris, if I was with the guys, I would be having much more fun. (laughs) Yes, he said those words. To which I looked at him, I looked back, and I went, famous last words, I went, well, sweetheart, eat my snow. And I turned my skis down to like a blue run And off I went. Now, I knew that I was in serious trouble about 20 seconds later on my second somersault that was not intentional. (laughs) When I heard the loudest pop, pop, pop you've heard, and I snapped my ACL, tore my MCL, tore my meniscus, fractured my knee, I did it all. You know, Nick had to call the ski patrol, you know, when they put you in that coffin and then they take you down the mountain like that was me. And listen, I'm Greek, so I'm Greek, so my mother, every day before I left the house, would say to me for decades, Christina, are you wearing clean underwear? <laughs> Some of you are freaking out. You're like, give a woman a microphone. Look what happens. Look, I've moved from the pulpit. Don't panic. And I would say, you know, anyone else's mother have an obsession with your, like, underwear? Like, you know, yes. Yeah, see, you've obviously got a lot of Hispanic people in here because all of us <laughs> Latino people, this is it. And so my mother would go, and I'd go, "Mom." I don't care. What do you care about my condition of my underwear? And she would go, up? because if you have an accident and you end up in an ambulance, it's important that you're wearing good underwear. <laughs> I said, Mum, if I have the kind of, this is the logic I grew up in, you know, my mother. If I have the kind of accident where I end up in the back of an ambulance, I don't care about the condition of my underwear. All I'm saying to you is as they were lifting me up and putting me into the ambulance that day, I just want you to know that my mother Was right, yet again. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. This was the women's conference, we'd go there, but that's okay. And so, (laughs) that day, an ACL is smaller than your little finger, and it's tucked in behind your knee. Now, before that ski accident, I didn't even know that I had an ACL. I didn't know if I had an ABC, EFG, HIJ in my knee. I had no idea, didn't even know what it was. But a ligament. Smaller than my little finger, tucked in behind my knee that I did not even know was there, crippled and paralyzed me for months. It impacted everything that I did. It impacted what I could and couldn't do. So many of us, when it comes to the house of God, where God has set every member in place, we just think, man, if I'm not the center place and the most visible place, that I've got no significance And so much of the body is limping along because so many members have been displaced or misplaced or replaced because you simply haven't embraced your place. And in a world that simply elevates prominence and visibility and we have unfortunately even in the body confused significance and visibility. We're limping along instead of being the light and salt that God's called us to be in our communities because we think, well, I'm just an ACL. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if I go to church or not. It doesn't matter if I tithe or not. It doesn't matter if I serve or not. So quiet, this Presbyterian church. So quiet. I'm just going. I'm obviously not talking to all of you that are here this morning, but you know, that's okay. But it is so important That we don't start comparing and competing and what's most visible and what looks most significant and what's most prominent. Because scripture actually says, you know, it's actually the bits that you don't see that matter more than anything else. So you know you're drifting when you start comparing and you start competing rather than supporting and rather than celebrating. And last thing before I close, you know that you're drifting when instead of gathering, you start isolating. The writer to the Hebrews, in Hebrews 10, says, and now do not forsake the gathering together of the believers, as is the habit of some. Post-COVID, so many of us think it doesn't really matter if we gather anymore. But these guys, in the book of Hebrews, they literally could be killed for gathering. Yet apparently, the writer to the Hebrews thought there is something so important and so significant that happens in the gathering that does not unlo- uh, otherwise happen, that it was worth risking their lives to gather. And you can see this in underground churches all around the world. Nick and I were in a certain part of Southeast Asia where 500 of the top leaders, the four streams of the underground church in China, 125 leaders from each of those streams. And were in a room. And they're telling me stories about what they risk to gather. We can't even get out of bed because we'd rather have our Cheerios and watch worship in bed than participate in worship in the house of God. And that was, yeah, no, you don't have to clap. It's okay. <laughs> and so what happens? And of course, I'm not talking at all if there is a physical reason why you can't. That's, don't take that out of context at all. But here is the deal. And I remember they had invited me over, because they wanted me to speak to them about reaching the next generation, because they said, Chris, all of our children, they think we're kind of just peasants and ignorant agricultural workers, because obviously a whole generation of intellectuals had been obliterated, <laughs> and the Holy Spirit moved amongst uneducated agrarian workers, And the biggest move of the Spirit in our generation, of which we may or may not be aware, is in the church in China, where it was actually illegal, it is, to be a Christian. And they were saying, so we had to rely on the Holy Spirit to tell us where to go, where to meet. We had one scripture, they had like one verse. And they would say, so we didn't know how to reach the next generation now with urbanization and globalization and everyone's moved into the cities. Our young people just don't want to come to church because they just think we're ignorant. And so, Chris, could you tell us how to reach young people and teach us some leadership? Because we don't know anything about leadership. The only thing we ever learned was how, the only thing we were ever taught was how to witness to our prison guard on the way to our execution. I didn't think I heard right. So I asked my translator to, to check that that's what I heard. And I remember I'm standing there in this particular country in South Asia, and I start weeping, and I just got down on my knees. I said, I don't know what you think I'm doing here, but I'm not here to teach any of you anything. Whatever it is that you've got that would cause you to witness to your prison guard on the way to your execution because you so love Jesus, And you are so willing to risk everything to gather together to exalt the name of Jesus and to worship Jesus. Whatever that is, I want you to lay hands on me. And I want you to impart that to me so that I can impart that to the American church. Because that's what we need more than we need anything else. So this would be the era to pay all the more attention, church, lest we also drift. You know, I wonder if you know this Jesus that I'm talking about this morning. Not do you know about him, but do you know him? And if you don't right here, right now, this morning. As we come to a close in our service, I just want to give you the opportunity to address the spiritual condition of your heart, the opportunity to put Jesus Christ first in your life. Friend, I am living proof that in and through a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can start bad and you can finish good. The same Jesus that took this unnamed, unwanted, abused, adopted immigrant girl from the other side of the world and gave me forgiveness for my past and a brand new life and a hope for the future. That same Jesus is in this house this morning, ready to do the same thing. You. He loves you and has such a plan for your life. There's some of you that are listening to me this morning, and you're like, Man, Chris, I'd love, I'd love to come home to Jesus, but you don't know how far I've drifted. Chris, you went through all those points, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I've done them all 20 times over. And as I've talked, you think, and the enemy would be whispering in your ear that you've just drifted too far. You've done too much, you've said too much, you've posted too much. you. But can I just tell you this morning, you actually don't have the power to outdrift the love of God or the grace of God or the mercy of God or the goodness of God. You actually don't have that power. So this morning, just make a decision to come home. Come home. Come home to Jesus. I want every head bowed and every eye closed, friend, wherever you are, from the front to the back, online, in this room. And if you say this morning, Chris, I need what you're talking about, I need a fresh start with Jesus Christ, either for the very, very first time, or you've been away from God, cold in your heart, and maybe even had felt that you had way, drifted way out. I want to invite you home this morning to Jesus. He's waiting for you with open arms. If you say, Chris, I, I need that. I need a fresh start with Jesus Christ this morning. Let me pray for you, just right where you're sitting. A very, very simple but powerful prayer. And if you say, Chris, include me in that prayer, just so that I know who I'm praying for this morning, would you just raise your hand and say, Chris, I want a fresh start with Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank. You. I mean, there's so many hands going up. I can see you all around the room. Keep those hands going up. I'm seeing you literally to the back row, literally to the back row, from the front row to the back row. Every single section, hands are going. Keep your hands up high. Keep them up high. Jesus sees that hand. Church, I'm going to pray a prayer. You guys with your hands hands raised. You're praying this prayer to Jesus. Church, I want us all to pray with conviction after me. The rest of us, believers, we're adding our faith to the faith of all of these people with their hands raised. As we pray this morning to Jesus, we're going to affirm our faith in Christ. So pray this this morning. Dear Jesus, I've raised my hand today because I recognize my need for you. I ask that you would forgive me for all of my sins that you would give me a fresh start today and a hope for the future. I want to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, every single day for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's give God a thank you for all of those people saying yes to Jesus this morning.
2: Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, can I tell you that is the best prayer you could ever pray in your entire life. It's not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning of the journey. And we here at the Bridge Church, we feel like it's our responsibility to help you walk the next steps of your faith journey. So we have a free gift, a tool that we want to put into your hands. you could get it in a couple ways, right after service, right after the service, there's gonna be prayer teams right along the front here. They're there and they're ready to pray with any and everybody, but they have this tool, the next seven days, they wanna give it to you. Just come up, you can get prayer from them. If you wanna just grab it and go, say, hey, I prayed that prayer, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you, we don't need anything from you. If you're in a really quick hurry and you wanna go catch those football games, straight out this these doors, before you get to the glass doors, there's a table with a, with an image on a screen that says the next seven days, you can go up to that table, say, hey, I prayed that prayer, I wanna get the booklet, they'll give it to you right there. Please, let, it, let us give it to you. We feel like it's, it's, it's our um, responsibility to help you and walk out the next steps of your faith journey. I remember when I got saved, I felt like I had a thousand questions and nobody to ask them to. This will be a tool that helps answer some of those questions and kickstart your faith journey and your relationship with Jesus. Hey, church family, one more time, can we welcome people into God's family right now? Hey, this is the moment in our service where, where we get to worship God with our giving. And I know not everybody here got to see what God was doing in the house yesterday, but I, uh, I got to sneak in. I got, I got to serve. I got to serve. And I got to see what God was doing in the lives of so many women. I got to see how God was uh, moving, how the Holy Spirit was here, ladies getting saved, all this awesome stuff. But... If you don't know me, alongside my wife of 13 years, Amber, uh, my name is Corey. I get the, the privilege of being the next-gen pastor here. So that means not only was I in this room getting to see God work in the lives of ladies, I was in our rooms over there in kids' ministry, not doing free babysitting so that ladies can have an experience with God, but our kiddos over there experiencing God, just like they are right now. We get to work with junior hires and high schoolers week in and week out and get to see how God works in their life. Every single week, literally every single week for the last seven years that we've been here, teenagers are accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior at Bridge Youth, every single week. We're on five campuses. We don't count, we don't count the six campus that we're involved with, Lindfield. they're a private Christian school and they're all saved there. We're on five campuses. The work of the ministry is going out. And, and why do I mention that about all the young people? Well, because I'm a next-gen pastor and I'm biased to young people and I love them. But I mention that because it's not because Amber and I are next-gen pastors that God's working in the lives of the young people of the Temecula Valley. It's because we have a church that believes in young people and is so generous to pour into the work of the ministry. And you guys are a part of every single thing that we do. So as the next gen pastor, can I just say thank you for your generosity in giving. We honor you. Hey, we know this. The work of the ministry happens because of a faithful God and faithful people like you. Hey, there's a handful of ways that you can give this morning that you can see on the screen. If you brought a physical gift, you want to give that gift today in the house. There's envelopes in the chair back. There's a couple places you can drop that. Before you get to the foyer, there's a giving station on either side of the foyer doors. Also, towards our kids' ministry area at the kids' check-in, there's another drop station right there where you can drop that. Thank you so much for your faithfulness and giving. Hey. Did anybody else enjoy Christine Kane's message this morning? I know I did. On behalf of the entire church, thank you, Christine. As a young preacher, thank you for all of your messages that I've preached over the years. Um, (laughs) Hey, um, yesterday at She Unites, Christine brought a bunch of resources and they all sold out. So we don't have them in the house today. But what we do have, we have a QR code that'll go up on the screen in just a moment where if you, she has written a ton of great books. She's got a ton of great resources. You can hit that QR code for anybody like 40 and under. Just open your camera, point it at that code. It'll give you a little thing. Press that. It'll take you straight to it. If you need any help in finding those resources and you're like a QR, what? Just go to our info center. They have all the info there as well. One more time. Can we say thank you to Christine for that amazing message? (laughs) Hey, it hasn't only been an amazing day in church today. It's been an amazing weekend in church. Have you guys enjoyed being in church this morning? Hey, we love you guys so much. Stand to your feet. We'll see you next week. We love you.